As we've been singing the song, There is Power in the Blood, that's the, the, uh, the, what the sermon's about to, today. Is wonderful power in the blood. But we're kind of, today, we're kind of separated from the idea of blood. You know, I was thinking about it, not that many generations back, people understood more about blood. Uh, Anne's mother lived on a farm during the Depression years. Uh, and she would go out, and one of her jobs was to hunt rabbits. And there was blood involved in it. And you go further back, and we can see there's blood in people's lives. You couldn't go to the supermarket to get your meat. There was blood involved in it. And go even further back, and we see the importance of blood to God's people. And that's where I want to start, just to see how important blood has been throughout the history of the Bible. So we go to the very beginning, and we think of when Adam and Eve first sinned uh, and uh, caused so many problems from them in the garden. They were, because of their sin, they were cast out of the garden. They were separated from the tree of life. They were separated from God. And part, one of the consequences of their situation, they recognized that they were naked and they, and they sought to cover themselves. But that wasn't sufficient. They didn't have the means to do that. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, we read, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And we're not told any more about this. But you know, that's the very first death that we read of in the Bible, because of their sin, there was death and there was bloodshed as a consequence of their sin. And we go on to their sons, uh, Cain and Abel, in chapter 4 of Genesis. We're going to read from verse 1. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve and conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have begotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord, the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, brought the firstlings of the flock of, uh, and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Now, each time I read this, it's just such a shocking event. This is the first act of worship that we read of in the Bible. Not necessarily the first that ever took place, but you have Cain and Abel offering God worship, and as a direct result of that, we see Cain rising up and killing his brother. Murder, that warning that God gave him, sin is crouching, waiting for you. And that certainly was the case. But it's 
if, if we just look at this passage, it's a mystery. Why, why, was, why did God have regard for Abel's sacrifice and not for Cain's? Of course, we go uh, forward in time and the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, that through faith, though he is dead, still he speaks. It was through faith that Abel offered to God a better sacrifice. We know that faith comes through hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. It wasn't a case that, that Cain and Abel woke up that morning and thought, well, let's offer something to God, something that I value, and will be pleasing to God. No, God had already told them what to do. Now you remember that, uh, that Cain offered uh, the, the fruit of the field, grain or whatever it was. But Abel offered the firstlings of his flock. There was a sacrifice that took place and there was a shedding of blood. And that is why God had regard for Abel's sacrifice and not for Cain. Now this speaks volumes for us. The importance of us seeking through faith to do what God says. It's not a case that we choose what we want to do. You know, there are so many people who do that. That very thing. They think, well, it's pleasing to me, therefore it must be pleasing to God. How narrow-minded that is, to think that God would think in the way that we think. No, we don't need to. We don't need to go through that process and wonder what is pleasing to God. We have the Bible. And Cain and Abel had the word of God. And it took the sacrifice of an animal, the, sharing, the shedding rather of blood, because there is power in the blood. We go on to, uh, to uh, chapter 2 of, of Genesis and we read of, uh, of Abraham and Isaac. We re read there in, uh, in verse 1, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Again, a, a shocking story that we're given here. God had told Abraham that through Isaac all the nations of the earth would be blessed. But here he's saying, go and take this son of yours and offer him as a sacrifice. Because Abraham was a man of faith. That's what he did. He went up the mountain. He took Isaac. Now Isaac wouldn't have been just this little boy. He was a willing sacrifice. But that wasn't all that God wanted to teach there. We get, pick up the story in verse 9. When they came to the place which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood, Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. 
And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked. Behold, behind him a ram was caught by, in, in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide, as it was said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it will be provided. You see, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. The Hebrew writer tells us that Abraham knew that God could bring him back by resurrection. But that wasn't what God's plan was. He was tested and he was found not wanting. He was found faithful to God. And then God provided. On the mountain of the Lord, God will provide. God provided that ram, which was offered up as a sacrifice. Of course, Isaac at this point is a foreshadowing of our dear Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who was offered as a sacrifice on Mount Calvary. On that day, there was no ram that was substituted for him. But we can see the importance of this, uh, this sacrifice. We can see the importance of the blood that was to be offered. We now go to the book of Leviticus and we're going to have a look at some of the teachings about sacrifices in the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter uh, 4 uh, and verse 31, notice these instructions. The priest shall take some of the blood with his finger and put it on the, on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering. And all the rest of the blood he shall pour out the base of the altar. Then he shall remove all its fat, just as the fat was removed from the sacrifice of peace offering. And the priest shall offer it up in smoke on the altar for a soothing aroma for the Lord. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he will be forgiven. <laughs> now this, this is just a small part of a great many instructions about sacrifices for different different things. But the importance that we need to notice here is that the blood was so important. The blood was offered as an atonement for sins. This is what the blood was for. Now we need to recognize that at this time blood was something that people weren't uh, unused to seeing, as, as maybe we are today. This blood was seen as important. And we need to see that the blood of Jesus Christ is important. And rather than not think about it, because it's perhaps an unpleasant thing to think of, we need to recognize and we need to rejoice that this blood was shed. Now, I want to thank uh, Caleb for reading for us earlier from the book of Hebrews. And we're going to go over there to Hebrews chapter 9 now and notice just a couple of things that, uh, that we read there. Hebrews chapter 9, 
We're going to start in verse 18. It says there, Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the, the book itself and the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. In the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with blood. And according to the law, one may almost say that all things are cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Of course, this is talking about the time when the, the tabernacle was inaugurated first of all. And, and, and Moses had been instructed what he had to do, and he followed this exactly to what God had said, because it's so important that he did that. And, and he anointed the vessels and all the things in the tabernacle with blood, that last passage that we read, we can see again the importance of it. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And you see, at that time there was sin, uh, there was, rather there was, there was sacrifices continuously because those sacrifices were not sufficient to give forgiveness of sin for all time. As people sinned, they needed more sacrifices. And the more sacrifices followed by, was followed by more sins. And this continued on. Let's pick it up now in verse 27. We read, and we're so thankful, that inasmuch as it was appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once, to bear the sins of many will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. You see, there is no reference to sin in the second coming. For those who are Christ's, Christ Jesus, because we have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, that is the power of the blood. You know, we can't cover everything that the blood does and how important it is. We know and we, 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 we uh, study about it as we partake of the Lord's Supper. As the blood was shed to uh, bring in the old covenant, it was Christ's blood that was shed and that we remember when we partake of in the new covenant that brought in that new covenant where Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant, just like Moses said of the old covenant. But for us today, I want to just focus on the fact that we have forgiveness of sin because of the blood of Jesus Christ. In the book of Leviticus, we read in chapter 17, verses 11 and 12, an interesting passage. It says there, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. 
For it is the blood by reason of life that makes atonement. Therefore I said to the, the sons of Israel, No person among you may eat blood or drink, or, or, or may any alien who sojourns among you may eat blood. The blood is what makes atonement. Now, I believe the New King James Version makes this a little bit easier to understand, where it says in verse 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for your souls. Now that was the blood of goats and bulls. That, that wasn't sufficient to, 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 to guarantee their, 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 their salvation. But we're talking about the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the blood of Christ that makes atonement for our sins. Jesus Christ is our sacrifice. Jesus had to come down from heaven. He had to come to earth. He had to live the life of a man because the blood of goats and bulls were not sufficient. Going back to Hebrews chapter 10, we read in, uh, in verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of goats, uh, bulls and goats to take away sins, Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then he saw, said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Jesus had to come because those sacrifices under the old covenant were not sufficient. It took Jesus Christ to come, the perfect Son of God, the fulfillment of that shadow that was Isaac up on the mountain with Jesus Christ. He came as our Passover. You know, on the 14th of Nisan, uh, under the Old Covenant, that's when the Passover lamb was sacrificed and they partook of that Passover but we're told in the New Testament that Jesus is our Passover. Just as God passed over the children of Israel on that night long ago in the land of Egypt when the tenth and final plague hit, so now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, when we have been united with God, God passes over our sins. Our sins have been forgiven because Jesus is our Passover. There is power in the blood today because of the sacrifice of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile ways of life inherited from your fathers, but with the precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. We have been redeemed. That means we have been bought. The price was paid for us. What we had was this massive debt that we could never repay. 
for all who have, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. My brothers and sisters, that is you and me. And we know the wages of sin is death. That is the price that had to be paid. That was the price that was hanging over us. We were destined for death. But we were redeemed. You see, the price was paid for us. Imagine that we had this massive debt and that we could never repay here on earth. We had overspent and we had wasted our life in all sorts of living and we were facing debtor's prison. We were facing the worst situation we could ever think of. And someone came and wrote out a check for us and said, your price is paid. Well, Jesus did that and more, because it wasn't just that he could just provide some money out of some bank or something. No, he actually had to pay the full price that would do us. We were due to die because of our sins. And that price had to be paid. You see, some people think that, you know, well, God is love. Well, couldn't he, just, couldn't he just, just forget about it? We see, God is also holy and righteous. He can't turn a blind eye. It would be like a judge who, who, who said, okay, you robbed this bank, but you're a nice guy, and I like you. I'm going to forgive you. He can't do that. He would, be, he would be breaking the law by doing that. And you see, that's the same with God. If he said, okay, no, the price doesn't have to be paid. I changed my mind, or I'm just going to turn a blind eye. That debt no longer needs to be paid. He would be breaking the law, and he would be no longer righteous and holy. And so he came up with a plan of redemption that took Jesus Christ to come and live a perfect life, the only one who ever lived without sin. And, and as he lived that life, he was tempted in all ways without sin so that he could be a perfect high priest. There's so much more that's going on there. And you see, when they came to arrest him, and Peter drew out his sword and cut off the slave's ear. You know, Jesus said, what are you doing? Don't you know I could have called 12 legions of angels to stop this? I could do this. And as Isaac, who was a willing uh, sacrifice, who was saved at the last minute, Jesus willingly went up to Mount Calvary, initially carrying his cross, but his body was already so badly beaten and broken, he could no longer carry it all the way. But even then, he could have called on the angels. He could have called on his father. But he willingly did that. And as the blood seeped away from his body, from the wounds that he had been beaten with, from the cruel crown of thorns, through the nails that pierced his flesh, that blood, that powerful blood, was paying the price. Each drop of blood was shed to pay 
our price to redeem us so that we, on the, when the second coming, could stand before the throne without sin. We need to recognize that. We are without sin because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, I just want to notice a, just a few things from the, the song that we sang. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. The only way to get freedom from sin is through Christ Jesus and to be united with Christ and his death on the cross. We're told that the power of God, uh, of God is the gospel. And the gospel tells us that Jesus Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. Because even though he paid the price for sin, he was sinless. So he was resurrected. Now we have to obey the gospel through our belief. We need to repent of our sins. We can't, we can't expect to be forgiven of our sins if we continue in our sins. That makes no sense. We, so we turn away from our sins. But then we must be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. The Apostle Peter said in Acts 2.38, 238, repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You see, it's at baptism, that's the point where we become united with Christ. It's at that point that we have our sins forgiven. Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, was told to arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. And that's how we get salvation. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There is victory in our faith. Faith is the victory. We know as we read through the Bible and we finish off in that wonderful and, and somewhat confusing book of Revelation, we read about the victory that is coming and those who stand before the, the, the throne. This power, power, wonder-working wonder power in the blood of the Lamb in the precious blood of the Lamb. You know, the prophet John, who we know is the Baptist, said when he saw Jesus at the beginning of his ministry in John 1 verse 29, the next day he saw, he saw Jesus coming and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now this is three years or more before the sacrifice. But because he was a prophet, John knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God who would be sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. There is nothing that we can be proud of. 
There is nothing that we have done. The power is in the blood. We need to be humble, meek, and lowly, just as Jesus was here on earth, and recognize that there's power in the blood. Come to a clean, for a cleansing to Calvary's tide. Is Calvary where salvation was. There's power in the blood. Would you be much whiter, much whiter than snow? I want to go and read some from Revelation. Revelation 17, starting in, uh, in, in, verse, uh, in verse 13, uh, where we read, uh, These have one purpose, and they gave their power and authority to the beast. And these will wage war with the Lamb uh, and overcome them because they are... Uh, well, it's actually the wrong, wrong passage I've got. Oh, 7. Revelation 7, verse 13. Beg your pardon. Uh, then one of the elders answered, saying to, to me, these, are who are these who are clothed in white robes, who are they and where have they come from? And he said, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's the faithful. That's us. We will be white, much whiter than snow, through the wonderful power of the Lamb. The final verse is, would you do service for Jesus your kin. There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you live daily his praises to sing? There's wonderful power in the blood. Jesus, who came in this meek and lowly state, the son of a carpenter who became a carpenter and an itinerant preacher, lived a lowly life on earth because of his sacrifice on the cross, was resurrected and ascended into heaven to sit on the glorious throne. And he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Our job is to serve him, to serve the king and live daily in his service. This is not a part-time thing that we do when we're Christians. We recognize the power in the blood. We live our lives recognizing God as uh, Christ as our Lord and Savior. So what does it mean for us today, the power in the blood? It means we have to live with humility in our life, recognizing the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to live faithfully, recognizing the power in the blood. We need to live in service, in obedience. We need to live with love. Jesus gave us the example of what love means. Love means that we're willing to sacrifice for our brothers, for our sisters, for our neighbors, whoever they may be. We need to live with love because of the blood 
of the Lamb. There's wonderful power in the blood of the Lamb.